In this episode of the Healthcare Huddle, we have a very pointed and prescriptive conversation with Teresa Beer, who is a veteran writer, producer, and on-air talent for broadcast media, print, social media, and she's also an assistant professor at Northern Arizona University. And our conversation focuses and centers on the tips, tools, and techniques to effectively and purposefully navigate this congested and at least to me at times confusing communication ecosystem we find ourselves in. She's very well versed in how to effectively present, communicate to small and large groups, how to leverage social media. So I think you'll find this particularly instructive as a leader in healthcare. You'll be able to take and walk away with several uh, good tips. Enjoy. It's time for the Healthcare Huddle, simplifying the business of healthcare. Presented by Encompass Medical, devoted to helping organizations succeed with customized medical practice management services. Visit EncompassMedical.com today. Now, here's your host, Michael Zerbis. I'm very happy to have today's guest, Professor Teresa Beer, join the show. I'm going to confess, I'm also a little bit nervous, and that's because Teresa is a highly skilled and experienced communications professional. As I mentioned, Teresa is a professor of practice and management at Northern Arizona University. She's also been a television host, a reporter, a television producer. She's an award-winning writer and an editor, and she's a recipient of the Athena Award. Teresa also owns a media consulting firm that specializes in public speaking skills evaluations and media training. So uh, I'm a little bit on the hot spot here today, but Teresa, welcome and thank you for joining. So great to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. There's so much to discuss, but I think I want to start with maybe a global question. I have this perception that the communication landscape is rapidly evolving and it seems to me to be picking up pace and speed. And and I've noticed this for years now. So either confirm or deny my hypothesis and then help me understand why you think that is the case if in fact you perceive the same thing. Absolutely. And the internet has changed everything. And then the pandemic again, everything. We have this really quick ability to communicate with people all over the world. And it's just a wonderful time to be alive. I love it. Not every government has the same openness of communication channels. And so that is a little bit of a barrier, but people are finding their ways to get around it. And it changes everything in the way that we do everything, because before we might write a letter and if we made a mistake, we would fix it. But today, if we make a mistake, it can be everywhere and it can live forever. So it adds a little bit of a pressure to try to do things right the first time around. But in terms of communication and our ability to reach people, and then even being here on this podcast together and the explosion of podcasts, it's just fascinating and and I think wonderful. It's interesting. You mentioned a couple things there, and and I want to chase those a little bit. The immediacy also is fraught with 
longevity or permanence, right? And so you articulated this idea that if you make a mistake, it's immediately seen and it can live forever. And so just when you said that, I felt incredible pressure as a business leader to be very circumspect and to be very careful. And I felt this for a while in my language and especially as political language and mores and are evolving. How does one navigate that? I mean, it seems overwhelming to me. And how do you counsel people to navigate this, what feels like a fraught landscape? If you screw up, it has a much bigger, it feels like effect than it used to. Well, I think the biggest thing is to pause before either publishing or sending because for me, I like to have a lot of different things happening at once and I know my limits. And if I've had a really busy day with many projects going on, there's the adrenaline that comes with that. But then I know after about 7 or 8 p.m., that's not the time for me to press send. I know that about myself because I've learned the hard way. And so when I do need to send something after 7 p.m., I just take extra care to make sure that it's done really, really well. And that's the problem. Email is such a wonderful tool, but a lot of people, including myself, are in that really high-paced mode and we want to get something off of our to-do list and hurry up and respond right away and send it. But it is that mentality of, multitasking at times or just the speed, I think, that we need to take more care. And email has a lot of problems with it. We know that humor doesn't go over well in emails. So if there's something that somebody sends something to you, you're not sure if there is humor intended and you're not sure you're getting it right, just to really take more time and to do that well. So that's the biggest thing is just being careful and knowing that you do press send and then it can live forever. And you don't want that because you want to maintain your professionalism. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned email and the pace. And I feel like the machine, the information machine is moving faster and faster. And I think we get caught up in that, right? And I think part of that, and maybe I'm wrong, but part of that is there's so many different ways to reach people. And so many different channels and venues and opportunities and that we're fighting for attention, right? And in that fighting for attention increases speed. And then we have these tools, like you mentioned, email that take away a lot of our normal cues. You can't see somebody's face. You can't see a smile. You can't see body language. And so we misinterpret a lot and we're trying to go fast. I love the idea of taking your time and I'm wondering how you do that when you're utilizing social media as a tool to communicate with key stakeholders. I know that as I'm running a business, I'm being pressed to tweet. I'm being pressed to even to do live streams of certain things. And it's hard to pause, quote unquote. And so I'm wondering how you advise us to move through that landscape where the immediacy is built in. I do tell people they should always pause, but also recognize that you can't do everything. But on the other hand, we're getting these messages that you need to do everything. (laughs) So I, I advise people to choose what they'll do and then do it with intention. If you're going to have a live event on Facebook, for example, 
do that and do it well. But don't expect yourself to be tweeting during the Facebook Live to be fully present while you're doing the Facebook Live. One of the things I see, it's a different question than the one you asked, but a lot of businesses will hire a new person or maybe even an intern and then hand over all the social media responsibilities sure. to that person. And, and why wouldn't you? They're pretty adept. And But what happens with that is those people don't stay very long. And then that sort of can fall off a business person's consciousness and they just won't do it as often. And we do need to be in these arenas. We know that and it's becoming increasingly important. So choose the ones that you know you can do well and do those. So for example, I like to go on LinkedIn and I mean, I don't always have time to go on LinkedIn, but every week I will set aside maybe a half hour where I go in there and I actually interact with the people I'm connected with and I learn new things and I show engagement, but I'm not able to also spend a half hour on Twitter every week or Facebook every week. So I know my time limits and then I set my intentions and I do well on the things that I set aside to do. So that was several different ideas, but. Uh, no, I like it. I'm curious if there's, if there's a rule of thumb relative to, like if I'm being asked to do a Facebook live event, right? I almost want to have some kind of rough scripting. It, it, I understand that it's not necessarily going to follow the script, but a framework because it helps keep me reorganized and recentered. But I'm wondering if that kind of defeats the purpose of the spontaneous and organic feel that that venue is trying to create. Oh, absolutely not. You need an outline and you need an idea of what you're going to do. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is what if people are interacting with you and asking questions in the chat and you lose your train of thought? You will always be able to go back to the outline, which had your overall goals and objectives on it. And then when people are with you and they're engaging in these different forums, they can tell when you lack organization and it sounds unprofessional. So oh. I'm a huge fan of having outlines and that not just Facebook Live, but for sure when you're going to give a presentation or anything else, I think the organization really helps us mentally. And then it makes us not just feel more confident, but sound like we're in control and we know exactly what the message is and we can always go back to that as much as we need to. I have to tell you, and I'm curious if you hear this from some of your maybe students, but maybe some of your clients through your consulting firm. I feel an incredible amount of pressure to create content. You know, it's like if they ask me to tweet, it's like I feel <laughs> I feel this pressure to come up with something interesting. And you can't tweet once uh, every two weeks, right? There has to be some rhythm and pattern to it. Is that just me or is there this – it's like you can never feed the beast enough <laughs> content. You're right. It is a beast. And – I think that even retweeting other content that is highly relevant and or inspiring is mm. the same as creating fresh content. Not exactly the same, but it has a lot of the same power. So I would for sure mix it up with that. And not only that, but when you're reading carefully, uh, that translates into taking time. Yes. All other people's things, then that's inspiring you to have new ideas yourself. So uh, 
I would spend at least half of my Twitter time doing that. And then the other half doing content creation, which may ease your mind up a bit. Well, yeah, it might take more than that to ease my mind, but I'm going to start, I'm taking notes uh, and hopefully this helps our listeners because I, uh, a lot of our listeners are, they're leading business units or companies or healthcare systems and you know, their primary job is to communicate. Their job is to communicate mission. Their job is to communicate strategy. And I think often it's an underlooked or overlooked skill set. And I know that I had to kind of learn the hard way on how to present. And as a result of that, there's gaps and holes in my ability. And so I'm wondering what you see business leaders kind of making the mistake aside and apart from maybe moving too fast. I think we're all guilty of that. And it's a great reminder. Do you see any other gaps or holes that business leaders have when they're trying to communicate? We can't do everything, of course. It seems like a good idea to hand the job of communicating publicly over to someone else. And if you have a really good person, that works well. But our voices as leaders, that's what people need to hear. So maybe if you have somebody who handles a lot of that communication, work closely with them to make sure that they're using the same words and tone that you would. And Again, it's just something that we need to put into our schedule and schedule it because you're right. People want to hear from the higher up. They want to hear from the president and the CEO, and they want to hear the authentic voice of that person. People in these really big leadership positions are very often spending most of their day listening. We know that because that's yes. a huge part of being a leader, but then being able to communicate that matters to every single level of the organization and of course the public as well and then all of our stakeholders too so yeah i just schedule it into your week maybe it's a half hour maybe you have 15 minutes a day but put it in there don't cross it off and then make it your highest priority or one of your highest priorities it's hard to say yeah. highest because it's there's so many high priorities Encompass Healthcare Data Solutions is devoted to helping healthcare organizations succeed with a complete menu of customizable practice management services. The expense management division of Encompass has maintained a 100% success rate of reducing expenses for hundreds of practices by an average of 20% over the past 20 years. Imagine what your practice could do with an extra 50 to 100K per year. Could you hire new staff, purchase capital equipment, give raises and bonuses? Encompass will help your practice reduce expenses and improve your bottom line. The best part is that Encompass will show you how to achieve significant savings without changing vendors or products or disrupting your day-to-day -day activities. The expense management program utilizes a contingency-based compensation model. Their only compensation is 50% of the actual verified monthly savings. Plus, Encompass guarantees that their work will not involve any more than eight hours per year of your staff's valuable time. Encompass even offers a $25,000 savings guarantee. Sleep better at night knowing that Encompass is monitoring your vendors each month to ensure that you are getting the best possible prices. For more information, go to encompasshds.com, select Expense Management Program, and click the Learn More button to schedule your discovery call. I've heard a couple times you allude to this 
idea of, of if you can to not outsource it, whether it's to the new hire or to maybe a PR specialist or in your organization. And if you have to do that because of workload, I'm hearing voice is very important and that it's consistent. I think that it's a real challenge because I think for a lot of people, communicating to large groups of people is uncomfortable. And so it's easy to find a reason to cross it off the list or to outsource it, right? And so there's this thing that we have to overcome, I think, a lot of us, this reluctance to take the center stage in that way. Do you see that also? Absolutely, I do. And being a leader is more than a full-time job. Everybody knows that. But people, not just everybody in your organization, because that's understood, but the public really cares about hearing from authentic leaders. And that's why people need to make it a priority. And I would, getting out of your comfort zone, sure, but it's just a natural way that we're doing business today. So it's not really an option, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And I would argue that as I've got you know 30 years of business now under my belt, I've learned over and over and over again how important a leader's ability to communicate is. And I would argue in some cases, it's maybe the most important, whether it's communicate one-on-one or to large groups of people. And now when I hire leaders, I'm very much focused in on their ability to communicate both with me real time and examples of how they've communicated, you know, and and that doesn't just mean can they communicate clearly or concisely, but can they not get defensive in a one-on-one conversation? Can they understand empathetically teams members' points of view and be able to connect with them? And I don't know that it's necessarily screened for a lot in business. And maybe I'm wrong about that. What's your views on the idea that it's important to screen leaders for their ability to communicate. And maybe that's top two or three skill sets that you should be looking for. I like to read research on this topic because this is my area. And NASA, I read in an article once, will hire for the soft skills because many of the technical skills can be taught. And Mm. You'll hear that from a lot of managers, that the top five things that they're looking for in new hires, of four of them are soft skills. And those do include the things you just mentioned, speaking, presenting, interpersonal communication. And so you can fortunately learn a lot of these things in a job interview. And sometimes employers will even throw out trick questions to try to make a person get stressed in the job interview and they're already feeling a a pretty high degree of stress to see how they'll react. Or now one of the big trends is to ask these sort of random questions like, if you were a kitchen appliance, which one would you be? And a blender. What'd you say? Blender. A blender. And why would you say a blender? (laughs) Because I'm always mixing it up. (laughs) Well, that's a great one. And it tells a lot about you and and you were able to answer it right away. But a lot of people will think, oh, what kind of question is that? And they'll say, oh, no, um, 
I'm an oven because I'm hot-headed or they'll say something silly and unintended. Right. But you're right. That's a great thing about you, Michael, because I've known you for a long time and you are a person who mixes it up, which is generally a skill that I admire. But uh, Yeah, unless it gets me in trouble. But So let me ask you a question then. Let me, let me shift because you're teaching students, right? And I'm curious, I really want you to try to take us into this world. I have this theory that the students that you're teaching now are, are significantly different in some ways relative to this idea about communication and certainly a, a fluency in social media that's different. What do you see as how they're different in maybe from previous generations or classes? Well, they can sniff out authenticity. Hmm to a really great degree. And they've been doing that their whole lives because they have grown up with a computer. They have known how to do research where they can tell that this site is trying to sell me something. This one is written by people who don't understand the language and they just have a, a deciphering ability that's different than many of the generations above them. The good news is they're a lot like us and I will answer the social media question, but they do like to communicate a lot, but they're very comfortable on online realms where I might pick up the telephone and call somebody to hear the voice and the variation in the voice during the conversation. Uh, they know how to do that, but they very often will prefer to text or to email. Not all of them are, I, I teach folks who are 21, 22, and then all the way up to any age. We have a, a variety, but most of my students are 21 and 22. And not right. everybody's even on social media. That was kind of surprising to me. Hmm. Some of them were seeing that a little bit of the backlash where they were married to their phones in a couple of students earlier, and now they're understanding the shortfalls and some of them are rejecting it. And many of them are using it. The majority are still using it. And we talked about the immediacy. They're really understanding of that. They are discerning. I mentioned that. And then they're eager to reach out and to learn. But they're also private, as many people are on social media. Not all of them are out there sharing every single meal they're eating or they have pretty good privacy controls on all of their different social media platforms mm. so that other people just can't randomly find them. But those are some of the things I see. And That's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the idea that you mentioned about this, this comfort level with less face-to-face, -face, if you will, you know, whether it's seeing the person or hearing the person in this text and emailing and, do you think this is where it stops or do you think that there's going to be a natural progression where people are communicating through avatars and they get completely comfortable with it, maybe never having actually seen another person that they're working with? Or is that or is that just a flight of fancy or mine? Or do you think that it could keep or, or we stop? This is kind of this is the end of it because there's this pushback now or is there more to this? <laughs> there is so much more and there will be, this is not it. Uh, yeah. All those things that you mentioned, those are coming. And the good news about it is that human contact will not be replaced. And if anything, it will be even more highly valued as it becomes less common. Hmm. That's an interesting take. The pandemic, for example, people are just, tired of needing to be on their computers for everything, including doctor's visits and school classes and 
extracurricular activities are all on Zoom. So when you do have a meeting, or even if it's a meeting one-on-one on Zoom where you're having a back and forth conversation, they're just really valued. So that's good news because the human voice, the eye contact, these things cannot be replaced going forward. I agree with you, and I, I'm glad to hear that. I wasn't smart enough to think of that idea that by making it less common, it's more valuable and will become more discerning on how we want and when we want to deploy it. We won't give it up. We'll just become more discerning. That gives me hope because, you know, I, I attribute a lot. I see this increasing uh, levels of anxiety and depression year over year, decade over decade. And it seems to be in studies that I've read accelerating. And I wonder if there's a correlation between our use of media, this distant media, we're still connected, but in a different way, and a vague dissatisfaction or aloneness that that it creates. And I was wondering if you had a perception on that. I do. And this is not my area of expertise, but I do have two daughters, 22 and 24, and I have been in the university setting for quite a while. It does seem like if you're spending a majority of your time looking at pictures of other people having fun, yeah, other people looking perfect, because that's the only pictures that they're sharing, it does create a feeling of less than and can contribute to those things that you were talking about of uh, isolation and depression. But I also, and I feel pretty lucky to be in the realm that I'm in because I get to have these interactions with people that are 21 and 22 and they are so optimistic. And of course they're showing me their face and I don't see them every hour of the day, but I have a lot of hope from what I do see. In what way? They are just some really wonderful, caring people. They're very, very invested in the future of the planet, a lot more than uh, our generation may have been. But I mean, not that we're not, we are, but they are really focused on it. And they're just good people. They work hard. They want to do a good job, not just for themselves, but for the greater whole, which is a little bit of a shift from the more individualistic thinking that happened for many years. And I just have a lot of hope from these students and I, I see a better future because of them. That's wonderful. And, you know, anecdotally, I have had the same perception that they seem to me to be incredibly bright, incredibly well-connected, thinking big picture, planet societal norms, making things better. And in some ways, they might turn out to be, if not the greatest, our second greatest generation. Time will tell. But I'm also very hopeful. And I think many times they're unfairly maligned just because it's different. And we're uncomfortable with different and their different perspectives and ways of working through the world. But I don't have a sense that it's wrong. Right? Right. So for a lot of people, when they're out in their communities, they see folks in this generation looking at their phones. So they're making assumptions and judgments based on seeing that everywhere. And one of the worst things is when you go to a restaurant and there are two people having a meal together, both on their devices. But I think that that's just only the smallest snapshot of this next generation. They're 
And a lot of times they're doing it for comfort reasons, like we were talking about, because they are more comfortable on these realms. I'll see them on a public transportation on the devices and they're not having to have eye contact and communicate with people around them because that is a little bit less comfortable. But then if you do strike up a conversation with them, despite them looking at their device, you'll almost always, at least I have, seen them engage and have a meaningful conversation. It's a great point. I'm glad that you brought it up. It helps bolster some hope for the future because we've had a lot of bad news lately. Encompass Healthcare Data Solution focuses on collecting the maximum from your revenue cycle. The revenue cycle management team regularly performs top 10% of outsourced billing companies with a clean claims rate of 98.05%, a zero pay denial rate of 0.015%, and average days in AR of less than 24 days. Your practice could go back to focusing on providing quality healthcare to your patients without the nagging concern of leaving real dollars on the table. Encompass's revenue cycle management solution provides unparalleled visibility and control into your revenues by providing a comprehensive dashboard and reporting system. The same reporting and dashboard system that the Encompass team uses to manage itself. Like most other revenue cycle vendors, Encompass only gets paid on net collections. Unlike other companies, they have a highly developed and unique denials management system that helps to ensure that your practice gets every penny that you've earned. For more information, go to EncompassHDS.com, select Revenue Cycle Management, and schedule your discovery call today. I got a question that's a little bit more specific, and I'm going to use myself as an example. You know, I'm, I'm in my late 50s, and I've been in business for quite a while, and I'm almost looking at these different communication channels, right? And I see this, this trend to trying to meet a stakeholder, and I use the term stakeholder to encompass, might be a shareholder, it might be a client, it could be a customer, it could be an employee, to meet them where they're at, right? And is my sense of that right? And if it is, how do I manage that? I might have a, a team of 150 employees with thousands of clients and, and tens of thousands of corresponding team members that with those clients, it's overwhelming. How do I meet them where they are? And maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. So when you say meet them where they are, can you say what you mean? Yeah, I'm sorry. So maybe I got to be on Facebook, right? Because there's a community built in Facebook and I got to go to them and message to them in that community. And personally, I'm not on Facebook. Or maybe I have to go and build a channel or maybe I have to go and tweet and because some of them are tweeting or they built, you know, there's a subreddit in our industry about this particular topic. And it's good for me. It's like, I can't really meet them where they are because they're not in one place anymore. That's true. And a lot of times this is done proactively, but you obviously will have to continue to evaluate it over time because your time is precious. And LinkedIn is one good spot. And we know a fraction of people are on Facebook, a fraction are on Reddit, and a fraction are on Twitter. So you and your team will need to decide where is our biggest impact and go there. We do know that for a lot of people, having a specific intranet on their 
website is one place where people will know where they can go. And then email is still huge. That's a way to specifically reach out to specific groups of people. And there are ways to do email well and includes making a subject line that is short and so provoking that people will open it. And then just choosing. Again, I can only spend about an hour yeah. a week on social media, and but I do it every week. I do one hour. And what is the best use of your time will be an internal decision. Yeah, it's interesting because I've heard you already articulate that, you know, you've, you've got a couple hours a week minimum reaching through your different media channels uh, or communication channels. And I think you're right. I think it's it's difficult to balance that. But in talking with you, I think a lot of our business listeners and business leaders and healthcare leaders, however they are, feel that same pressure. And I think it's almost getting permission that it's okay to pick and choose. And you, you, you can't be all things to all people. And that's okay. You got to be like you said, pick the best spots that where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck and do that great. And, and that's as much as you can do. Right. And one of the things I see that I really encourage people to try to avoid is people get this idea that I'm going to do a blog or I'm going to do a, a podcast. And those are great ideas, but podcasts take so much time to do them well. And same with the blog. I mean, it really is a commitment of time. And one of the things that doesn't look good is when people start a blog and then I'm doing a web search in 2021 and I see their last blog post was 2013. To me, that says, whoa, is this person (laughs) alive? Uh, And that's a joke, but Really, the point is that people, if you have a good idea, either keep it up or don't make it visible anymore when you're no longer able to keep up with it. It's a great point. And I'm looking at the clock here and I realized I've kept you longer than I promised. So I'm going to ask you maybe a couple other one or two final questions and then I'm going to allow you to go back to your real life. Help me understand. We've talked about what I need to do in terms of slowing down, right? What one needs to do, slow down, wait, kind of review, script. And it's all about pacing as I'm hearing and not get caught up in the speed to get it done, but to do it right. What are specific skills about how, when you are communicating, is there any tips you can give us about when I'm actually talking to you right now? What are the skills about that communication process specific? One of my closest friends has a excellent TED talk called 10 ways to have a better conversation. And one of the tips that she gives at Celeste Headley is that you listen. Many people make the mistake of listening with the intent to reply. And that breaks the communication down or it stops the communication. So one of the most important things is to try to listen with an open mind. And when your thoughts come in to your mind that remind you of something that you let that go so that you can actually be in the moment and listen to the conversation as it unfolds. I think that that is one of the most brilliant communication tips for many people because nobody's ever really taught how to communicate. And it's something that we have to keep working on our entire lives to do it well and just being fully present. And when we have our cell phones beeping in the background and we have 
our mind is just such a great machine. We were talking machines earlier. How do you keep it so that you're fully in the moment? And that's, there's a big resurgence of mindfulness and these other ideas, which are all excellent, but it does come back to just being fully engaged to the greatest of your ability. And that goes with presenting. Even if you're doing most of the talking, you still need to be working the room, reading the audience, having the eye contact, watching your nonverbal communication. There's so many different things going on, but being present um, in the process. And it's so interesting because, you know, the mind is a wonderful machine, but it's also a nonstop machine. (laughs) And, you know, it produces ideas and thoughts and comments and judgments and a continuing relentless basis. And that chatter does get in the way. And and I can find myself in conversations at times where I'm waiting for the other person to stop talking so that I can say what I want to say. And I've had to really work at that in my career. And it's, it's a work in progress. It's a constant thing is to is to slow down and actually listen to what people are saying. And it sounds simple, but I think it takes a lot of practice. And effort. It is a full-time job to really be an excellent communicator, even if all you're doing is listening because of those things you just said. The mind is constantly giving you input and you need to push it aside so that you can invest your energy into the words the other person is speaking. And you're right. It's a lifetime And that's kind of fun. I mean, if we were 18 years old and all of a sudden we didn't have to work on anything anymore, it would be kind of boring. (laughs) Uh, I love that you're, you're, you're so optimistic. Let me do this. Let me wrap up by starting to say thank you. Uh, I love your insights and I love the fact that you're in this field day in and day out teaching and consulting and working on it. So you're very up to date and you've shared your time today and and some valuable insights and expertise. So thank you very much for that. And if any of our listeners want more information to reach Teresa, you can reach her at her email and let me, I'm going to read it to you and then spell it out for you. So it's Teresa beer at gmail.com. That's T H E R E S A B I E R E R at gmail.com. Teresa, thank you so much. It was informative for me to hear Teresa's straightforward, common sense approach to managing and delivering messaging in today's fast moving informational landscape. And it got me to thinking about the hard lessons I learned about the importance of communication. When I was younger and running companies, I was focused primarily on getting tasks done and achieving the goal. I viewed communication as a necessary evil taking time away from task work. That sounds silly today, but it was true. And as I began to understand the strength of messaging to empower teams, people, unite them and clarify goals, the modes and methods seemingly started to shift under my feet. Now I was required to publish newsletters, vlogs, zines, yes, I'm that old, podcasts, and post on social media to message to internal and external stakeholders. In fact, here are some interesting numbers that reflect that seismic shift I observed. In 2020, over 3.6 billion people were using social media worldwide, a number projected to increase to almost 4.41 billion in 2025. 
and that's almost 50% of every person on the planet. Think about that for a second. The slums, the disadvantage of the third world countries, all still are accessing to some degree social media via their smartphones. It really speaks to the revolution that we've watched. The average daily usage of social media is two hours and 25 minutes. And social platforms gain 1.3 million users every day or 15.5 new users every second in 2020. That statistic blew my mind. In 1975, the average square footage of a home was a little over 1,600 square feet. In 2019, it was a little over 2,500 square feet. What does that have to do with communication? I would argue that as land got cheaper and people moved away from the city, we started isolating ourselves by being, building bigger homes and creating internal space instead of going outside of our homes to make connections. And as a result of that, we turned to social media to find that connection, that message, and that community. So due to this outbreak, there were times when I wanted to throw up my hands and claim it was just too hard to manage. And in fact, managing and posting all the time took away from more critical work. Yes, I was making the same mistake I made all those years ago. But in listening to Teresa, it occurred to me that despite the change in pace of messaging and the proliferation of delivery tools, the rules are basically the same. Organize your thoughts, prioritize your messaging, understand your audience needs, and move slow because slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And the reason that is true today and will be in the future for whatever new communication paradigm shift that arises is because the audience never changes. It's humans looking for connection, understanding a shared vision. Working with that end in mind, the rest will take care of itself. And with no irony, I say thanks for listening to my message. You've been listening to the Healthcare Huddle, simplifying the business of healthcare. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit EncompassMedical.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.